0: There we go. This new episode of Friday Night Counterattack is me and Salem today, so I'm feeling a lot better. I've been ill for the last week or so, so there probably hasn't been much activity going on on any social medias or any YouTubes or anything like that. So I do apologise about that, but I'm feeling a bit better. If you hear me going on mute, it's probably because I'm going to be coughing. Salem, good to see you again. Looking sharp in your new Inter-Batley jacket—is that new or is it last season's one? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah.
1: It's, it's it's new merch. It's, it just sort of dropped. It's uh, it's it's new merch. Yeah, that's
0: good. That's good to see that. It's a good design as well. It's like a very late nineteen nineties, early two thousand type design. Which
1: yeah, it's nice. nice. I quite like it. The zip pockets and stuff always help.
0: It needs to be, yeah. be done as well. Um, how how was it last week when you weren't even playing? You were on the bench, weren't you? Yes,
1: I was. I was on the bench because the two weeks, the last game, I, I missed it. I was in Birmingham playing in that charity game. Yeah. So and the team won, so obviously I was. I was on the bench. Yeah, it was. It was good. It's actually good vibes on the bench, you know. Um, a couple of good lads on the team, like Uma, who came on the recording last time, mm. and the guy that he was talking about being terrible, Zach. They were both on the bench too. So the be- there's about seven of us on the bench. So it was just straight vibes. Uh, yeah, quite. It wasn't that bad. I came on though. I got like 35 minutes, I think. So it was
0: quite good. That's good. You need to get those minutes under your belt. I need to get those minutes back under my belt as well because I missed a, probably a week and a half of football because of this illness. Yeah. A few people in like my new different football groups, they've got it as well. So the like, the numbers are just dropping week on week. And I'm like, yeah. I'm going to the Man United game next week as well against Atalanta in the Champions League. So I'm, like, I'm not risking it at all. Mm. I don't want to get turned away at the gate or anything like that. But no. um, we'll get into Manchester United and the Premier League later on because the main topic of conversation today is the Ballon d'Or so um, 2021 is one of those years when uh, you're kind of thinking there's probably two or three major candidates I could think of off the top of my head for this year's uh, Ballon d'Or as well Robert Lewandowski springs to mind Lionel Messi springs to mind and I've got the idea of Karan Benzema kind of being in in mind as well I think that's probably because it's kind of fresh in my mind because of the Nations League Um, yeah but Salim let me hear your first thoughts on Lionel Messi and if Lionel Messi should be the number one pick for the Ballon d'Or
1: yeah, I mean, the thing is, I think Lewandowski was quite unlucky because of what happened last year, obviously, uh, with it being cancelled. I think that was probably his best chance to sort of break that Ronaldo-Messi. Well, even Modric did it, but somebody else had come in between that sort of dominance that there was. Uh, for me, yeah, Defo has to be Messi. You know, he won the copper as well. Um, I think the thing with Messi is that I've sort of grown to appreciate him more. Uh, sort of growing up, I was always like a Ronaldo fan. Like, you know, I to get a Ronaldo top every year, basically. Every, like, Real Madrid top. All my names used to have like, you know, this like SG7, and used to do all that kind of stuff. But I mean, the more I've watched football, you know, I sort of more sort of understand and, you know, appreciate the game as well. And for me, yeah, it just it has to be messy. The stuff that he does, I mean, I've never seen anyone else do anything like it before. But yeah, there's some other really good players in there. It's nice to see that it's not just attackers getting mentions with, you know, Kante being in there and Jorginho as well. But yeah, definitely. I think the argument then goes back to Sergio Busquets, who was never even in a 20-man shortlist ever, and you know he could say he was clear of sort both of them in his in his prime. So yeah, it's, it's nice to see some sort of you know different names in there as well. Uh, but you know, fair play to Messi. He's uh, I think he's won six, hasn't he?
0: Yeah, he's won six. Ronaldo's on five, yeah. so he could easily make it seven, especially after winning the uh, Copa America this summer as well, making him. I, to be
1: honest, I, I can't see another footballer replicating it I can't see another footballer even getting you know three or something like you know it's just it just shows like another thing I know I've gone on quite a bit on this point but when they were showing like 2010 in 2010 they were showing like the best footballers of 2020 sort of prediction and stuff there was Ronaldo and Messi weren't even anywhere near that conversation at all but it just shows how far they were off that you know they're still at the best like everyone thought like you know, like three years ago, maybe Mbappe is going to take over now or Neymar or even Bale at that they time. The
0: names. Neymar, Hazard, Bro. Bale. They were the three yeah, that were especially especially at Neymar.
1: Years Yeah, World especially Neymar. I mean, those two were proper mentioned, but he just didn't, just didn't go to it. And then, like you mentioned, Benzema's quite a good shout. If you look at his stats, I think since Ronaldo's left, he's probably got as many goals and assists in games that he's played in. So for, cl- for club and country, it's good that he's back playing for France too. But, yeah, it's 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 nice to see, like, other players sort of stepping up to the plate and, you know, showing what they're capable of too. Uh, it's nice that they're getting this sort of recognition as well by just putting, like, such a big shortlist out, which they always do anyway. But, yeah, for me, it's, you know, hands down, it's going to be messy. And <laughs> I don't know if Messi will get it again next year, but it's definitely messy for me this year.
0: Yeah, because with me as well... Um like i'm always the guy on the on the podcast when all of us are on i'm the impartial one about messi and ronaldo because um i'm the kind of guy that's just going on about how you can appreciate both of them and you can look at both of them in different ways and in different uh, mindsets as well because Lionel Messi is someone who going to paris saint-germain you're kind of thinking he's, he doesn't really need to be there he could easily go to another uh country and he could still do it at the best of leagues and PSG lost the game recently against Rennes as well so you kind of just kind of like what you just said Salim I don't think he's going to win it again after this year if he doesn't win it because at, at Paris Saint-Germain what's there really that's going to challenge him to kind of be the best player in world football and the way I kind of see it, it's kind of like Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer when you kind of see how they've had that dominance in tennis for so long and um, along, along comes uh, Robert Lewandowski he's just upped his game so much and it's kind of like that Novak Djokovic figure that I can see in world football because again he's at 33, 34 years old, 48 goals in forty. <laughs> sorry I had to mute that because I'm ill um, but yeah 48 goals in 40 games uh, last season and 41 in 29 league games as well thinking that he's probably one of the best strikers that we've seen of this last 10 years, I would say, in football, Lewandowski, Suarez, Benzema are all up there for me in terms of number nines. But I feel like Robert Lewandowski having a poor Euros of Poland, having a poor Champions League run, again, he was injured versus that uh, in that PSG tie, so he couldn't even help PSG, um, but he couldn't even help defeat PSG because he had Ciampa Montaigne up front uh, by Munich. But the way I see it, it's it's all looking towards Lionel Messi because... I don't think it will be someone who has won the trophies and won the big trophies like Jorginho, for example, um, winning the Euros, winning the Super Cup, winning the Champions League as well and getting to the semi-finals of the Nations League as well. I don't think if if that were the case, then you could kind of look at uh, back in history when you kind of look at like Wesley Schneider getting to the World Cup final, winning the Champions League in 2010. You can look the at the, yeah, winning the treble in Italy, you're right. And you're kind of looking at these people thinking if they are the ones that win the trophies, like back in 2018, Rafa Varane was the one who won the World Cup and the Champions League um, for Real Madrid. And Modric just lost in the finals to France as well. So I don't see that. I don't think that'll be the way of thinking, but because a lot of people like journalists and captains get to vote um, on this as well. So I think it'll be, uh you know, Messi, clean sweep, I think. It'll be Messi, Lewandowski, maybe Kante, maybe Ronaldo, but Ronaldo again, he's had it not not a bad year just a quieter year than what we're used to um obviously moving to manchester united everyone's gassed about who's a man united fan but realistically speaking he didn't really do much uh for juventus in their first season in 10 years they didn't win the league um they want to they won the trophy uh the cup but he didn't do well portugal in the euros as well so i'm looking at a Lionel messi clean sweep with that but um before we move on to the premier league i just want to know Salim, who do you kind of think would be the next one to kind of win two or three because we've looked at Mbappe, we've looked at Haaland, Phil Foden we can mention, and look mention Pedri but I don't really see anyone that really stands out as the next heir to being the biggest star in football. What do you have to say about that?
1: I think we'll we'll never see sort of dominance like this obviously I could be wrong but my prediction would be that sort of the names that you've mentioned Il- it'll kind of be like how it used to be before the Ronaldo Messi days where, you know, maybe Mbappe will win one and then Foden will win one and then maybe Haaland will win one and then, you know, it'll, it'll keep going. Like, I mean, that's what I think will probably happen. I mean, there's some, you know, there's some amazing talent sort of coming through the ranks. Uh, obviously, it's people like, as you mentioned, uh, Haaland and Mbappe and these guys are doing Wicked too, but I saw this thing that Kelo Navas put out a bit, sort of uh, just a bit off topic, really. But saying that goalkeepers never really get recognised, then you know it'd, it'd be good to have a Ballon d'Or for like goalkeepers. I mean, they've got that um, that Yashin Award, yeah. But yeah, it'd be it'd be nice actually to sort if they added to the Ballon d'Or. I know it's like for the best individual talent, but you know it's defenders are getting overlooked as well. And obviously, I'm like an attacking player anyway, so
0: and I'm more of a defensive player as well, so. Um, kind of like how, um, I think it was uh, Kulibali from Napoli said that the same thing yeah, as well, saying that Benjamin, uh, not Benjamin Mendy, Earbard Mendy, we don't talk about Benjamin Mendy on this podcast until yeah, he's proven yeah. innocent. Um, but no, uh, Mendy was, was snubbed because again, he was a Champions League winning keeper, so um, he wasn't even on the 30-man shortlist, which was quite odd to see. Um
1: so, yeah, he's done panavaro like you're probably never going to see another defender win it like you know what i mean but there's arguments there for certain defenders over the years like you know obviously van dyke is going to be the obvious one but you know you've got players like ramos john terry you know ferdinand it it goes on really
0: yeah there's so much to really look at it and you're kind of looking down the, the last five ten years and you're kind of thinking these defenders have been brilliant the likes of van dyke the likes of company um you've had players like the lit come through as well who you could easily yeah. think of a as a potential Ballon d'Or winner. But like you said, it's kind of, um, kind of, how would you say, more, more biased, I would say, to the attacking plays. But then again, it's just how, how they look at it, really. Because Canavaro won the World Cup in that year in 2006, but realistically speaking, Puyol could have been a Ballon d'Or winner. Um, who else are we looking at? Philip Lahm, La of course. Of yeah,
1: Lahm, Busquets. You know, there's probably an argument for Joshua Kimmich as well. I thought he was amazing. I can't yeah, believe
0: he was snubbed from that whole list as well, the 30-man shortlist and he was snubbed. That was crazy.
1: Yeah, I think he's a world-class talent as well.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, very, it's very odd to see, but I think that should be something for the future for you. For, for all of these changes UEFA and FIFA are doing with like the kick-in, the balling instead of throw-ins, not having headers at grassroots football, um, all of these issues with VAR, I reckon that should be one of the changes for the award ceremony of handling the Ballon d'Or for an attacking player and a defensive player. Because everyone just feels left out and you're you're kind of thinking these players that you're going to look back in history, you're going to be looking at Cannavaro as one of the best in history, which he rightfully is. But you don't see anyone talking about Maldini, you don't really see people talking about Nesta or Vidic or John Terry in the same light as these amazing attacking players, which is crazy to see, crazy to see. Uh, Sorry, that was me coughing again because I'm really ill. Okay. Yeah, I'm all good. We're okay. Um, But yeah, that's that's how I see it. I see it being a messy win. I see that. Um, That's that's really how I see the Ballon d'Or going. Quite simple this year, I'd say, Salim. Wouldn't you think? Mm, yeah. It's quite easy to go for as well. But no, the Premier League's back this weekend as well. So by the time the podcast will be out on Friday, it'll be like a day before Um, the Premier League's back on as well, which will be brilliant. So, We'll go through the games one by one as we have been doing the season and hopefully we'll get some predictions right and we'll see what's going on really in the Premier League because uh first things first is Watford versus Liverpool so yeah. since I've been ill I've been doing a Watford career mode so I'm on like 2025 on yeah. career mode. I won the league on the final day of the season against uh, Leicester so that's quite funny as well I should really be streaming that but I'm like I, I don't, we have a Twitch, um, if I are listen listening, we have a Twitch uh, Friday Night Counter Attacks. If We're going to be playing a lot more online games. So hopefully, Araf, Rahil and Vish, um, they'll be joining the club and we'll be able to be playing a couple of these games online at the same time, which should be good.
1: Cool. Pro Clubs is the one.
0: Pro Clubs is the main one to be playing. That's, that's how it's fun as well. Apparently, you can like do your own stadium. You can do your own design. Yeah, sport, I, was, I, was
1: playing, I was playing last night with some friends, actually, Pro Clubs. First time I you know, played Open Map FIFA and played it. But yeah, it was really good. <laughs>
0: No, that's good. I'll have to play it tonight as well. I won't play pro clubs. I'll just play like seasons or something. But um, yeah, Watford versus Liverpool. This this game looks like a open and shut case for Liverpool, I would say. Because last time Watford held, hosted Liverpool, Watford beat them, didn't they? It's My Sarr scoring, winning 3-0 or 3-1. But I think Liverpool coming back um, coming back to win 3-0, 3-1, I would say. I think it'll be a high-scoring game after the international break. No one really has got injured for Liverpool and I think everyone will be okay in this game if you're supporting Liverpool. What do you think, Salah?
1: Yeah, for me, it's a Liverpool win. Liverpool have looked quite good, actually, and um, they're definitely obviously going to be the title race too. Uh, Yeah, for me, Liverpool, nothing much to add. I think Watford were hasty again, but that's the way that they do things down at Vicarage Road in terms of sacking managers.
0: Yeah. Did they get Ranieri in? Was he a confirmed... Manager that they brought in.
1: Yeah, I think it is. But it was just unfair that the guy that brought him up, you know, has been fired. So I guess that's just the the Watford model. But yeah, I think something needs, uh, there's only so many times you can keep doing this and it works. But I mean, it works for Chelsea, to be fair. But uh, Roman's not as bad, though, as Watford. You know, they probably go through three managers a year kind of thing pretty much every year. So it's only so long this can last and then you end up, you know, championship again and then maybe league one and then they're just going to ruin it for themselves.
0: You're kind of looking at thinking they're not really sticking to one plan because they've got plan A, B and C to get through. And if they don't get through plan A, then they'll just skip the manager and they'll just bring in plan B and then plan C of the season, which is awful. But yeah, routine win for Liverpool. Um, Aston Villa versus Wolves. That should be a good game, Salem. You're going to this one, aren't you? So... How are, you, yeah. how are you feeling against uh Wolverhampton Wanderers so far? I'd say okay. I'd say objectively, it'd be a decent game to watch. And I think Aston Villa should win the form. Yeah, the I
1: think we've overtaken now, sort of in the prem as well. Like I'd say they were probably above us when we were both in the championship, and then they were sort of better than us, I'd say better players and sort of better, you know. Uh, but now I think we've overtaken them anyway. But I feel like it'll be a good game, so sort of a local derby, sort of not. Uh, I don't think we've scored in our last four home games against them. So, yeah, I mean, it's obviously going to be different without Nuno. Um, but yeah, I think I think it'll be I think we should I think we should win this one. We're sort of starting to click and hit form. Uh, I mean, we were a bit unlucky against Spurs. We didn't really turn up. We should have done a lot better. But I think this, the issue with Dean Smith is he needs to sort of get a couple of systems now. So he knows that three-five-two sort of works. He needs to just get maybe another few to work, and he, we can get all the players back fit because that's the only problem we've had is that we've never had a, like a fully fit squad. So if we can get sort of, you know Buendia firing and Bailey firing, and you know there's so many of them, uh, Sanson as well, who's quality signing. But yeah, we just need to get all of them back and you know in the team and get them to sort of gel together.
0: Because I was thinking more like a four two 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 would be a good idea for Buendia. And Bay to be in the team as well because you kind of want like a, a 1- to be on as well
1: yeah or 4-3-3 or something maybe as well like you know the, the options are there it's just just what's in Dean Smith's mind I guess
0: yeah I, I agree completely because it's the fact you've got many options to choose from because I quite like the fact you can have a formation where you keep Watkins and Ings up front and you've still got Buendia and, um, and or Bay- Bayley behind them as well which make it a lot easier on the creative side as well more goal-scoring opportunities against teams like Wolverhampton Wanderers who are playing with five at the back and they're not really in the best of forms as well so it could be a thing where Dean Smith again listens to us at Friday night counter-attack and changes the formation which could be a fun thing to do um but yeah that's the versus Man United on Saturday three o'clock so uh Manchester United are without Raphael Varane we're without Harry Maguire as well I believe um at the time of speaking they're both out injured so It's quite sad to see how we're going to be playing with Lindelof and Eric Bailly at centre-back against Jamie Vardy, where we haven't really done well against Leicester over the last season or two. We drew 2-2 to them. We lost in the FA Cup last season as well. We lost at home against them last season as well. But realistically speaking, without my Man United hat, I think it will be a 1-1. I think it will be a very boring game. Leicester haven't turned up the season either. But on the plus side for them, a lot of their players haven't gone on this international break to their countries as well. So it could be something where I see um, a, bit, a bit better performance from Brendan Rogers and Leicester City. But Manchester United, I think the kind of the glory, the, the dust has kind of settled with the Ronaldo sign and everyone's not as gassed as they once were because it's settled in. The glory hunting fans are looking around thinking, oh yeah, Ronaldo's going to get Solskjaer out because... He got subbed on as a sub against Everton. I'm like, that's not how football works. He doesn't get benched for one game and wants to get rid of the manager. Ronaldo doesn't have that power. If he does, then he does. But I'm going to look stupid if if that happens. But Salim, how do you see Leicester versus Man United going? Because objectively speaking, I don't think we're going to do anything more than a point. And um, on a biased reason, I don't think we have that capacity to win against these kind of teams anymore. Unfortunately speaking, I think we're not... At the top of the, the top of the level like everyone's kind of saying, uh, Man United are especially with Ronaldo uh, back in the team.
1: I think uh, Leicester have not really looked that good this season compared to how they normally sort of start off. Um, that's the first thing I put. Maybe it's because they're sort of a bit burnt out, you know, a couple of years in the and his sort of system, as we saw with like Liverpool last year, for example, and sort of a bit with Leeds this year as well. Uh it might be that you know Brendan might be looking to leave you know there was talks about Newcastle going for him too uh Lester were a bit unlucky with the fafana injury as well, so a big player for them, but you know they've got they've got a really good squad, they made good signings again uh It's just a matter of getting them gelled in and playing, but you know it's still early days in the season, I mean you know you could start off you know a bit bad and then you could sort of gone you just need to go on a run you know sort of within ten games if you' win about seven or something like that, you put a nice run together and itself up the table. I think in terms of United, you're right, the dust has settled in terms of Ronaldo. I think a lot of people thought with him coming in, sort of me too as well, that he could sort of lead them to the title, but it's sort of proving that it might not be the case. Uh, he's still got that talent in him. You can see he's going to get 20 goals or something and he can't influence games, but the question is how much can he influence these games and whether you can get a proper system to fit him in because I mean, when we played against us, uh, when I went to the game, he got pocketed by house. I mentioned it a few times, but I didn't see anything. I've always wanted to see Ronaldo play live, and I feel like I've not even seen it. But I think that there might be something to do more so with tactics. I think I think Oli needs to work to get the best out of him, because if you get him firing, I can't see you, lot, you know, losing a game.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's how I see it as well, because you're kind of thinking... If he wanted to leave him out of that Everton game because of a rest against playing the whole 90 minutes against Villarreal, that's understandable. But I think Ronaldo, out of all of the players that we have, is probably the fittest player we have in that squad. So I was just kind of looking at it thinking, do you still have to play the double pivot at home against Everton as well? Or what um, midfield of Donny van de Beek, Bruno Fernandes and Scott McTominay holding could be an option of having a change of system in that midfield? Because having like Fred and van der Beek, you're going to get overrun all the time. But having Scott McTominay in there, really just kind of sitting in in a Fernandinho-like role, in an Ndidi role, kind of shows that there's a lot that we can do with this midfield. And even the Manu Matic and van der Beek would be a good idea as well. That's how I see it, because we need a bit more creativity with them from having to over-rely on individual brilliance, which I think everyone kind of can see with this Man United side. If you rely on Ronaldo... He'll bail, you, he'll bail you out. And he has done already. And kind of seeing that like from Bruno Fernandes last year, Marcus Rashford as well, uh, dare I say Marshall over the years, has done that as well. Romelu Lukaku when he was here, and Zlatan Ibrahimovic. But realistically speaking with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, it's just, I feel like there's there's more that he can offer um, this Manchester United side if he was to be a bit more brave at home and be a bit more brave on, on in these big games. Because we saw it last season, didn't we, Salah? A lot of these big games... As much as I don't want to admit it, we did drew, draw games 0-0, 1-1. We didn't really attack as much as we could. We did sit in and we did look to not lose rather than sneak a win or yeah. go for the win. And with the players that we have at our disposal now, it's more along the lines of if Ole Gunnar Solskjaer can now evolve and adapt as a manager, um, to not even keep up with the likes of Klopp, Tuchel or Pep, but just to try and, try and keep up with his own development. Because if you, if you end up just looking at it, if he, has, if he can develop into a better manager and a better coach, then he would have done uh, a lot more in his development as well. Maybe bring in some new coaches, perhaps get some fresh ideas from the last three years that he's been manager. Michael Carrick has been his assistant coach. Michael Phelan, Mick Phelan has been an assistant coach and Chris McKenna as well. If he's going for the same team every year, he's not going to do the same thing. And even Sir Alex Ferguson, one of the greatest managers we've ever had, changed his coaching staff every two, three years for fresh ideas and new approaches. So... I think that would be quite good to see if Ole Gunnar Solskjaer could do that, but time will tell if it's something that is going to do and if it's something he's going to actually benefit Manchester United. But one-one Leicester versus Man United. I see. Hmm. Man City versus Burnley, easiest game of the weekend at the Etihad Stadium. Five-nil win.
1: I one of them, you never know with Burnley; they could, you know, they could just turn up and get a one 0 or something, but. Uh, for me, Man City are just looking amazing at the moment, and I think I think they'll take three points. I don't know what the score is going to be, but I don't want to sort of guess. But I think they're just gonna they're just gonna smash it and get you know maybe five nil or something.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think it's going to be one of those games where Pep rests some players for the Champions League coming up as well. I don't think it's going to be something that is going to be majorly obsessed with playing all of the best players in this game. Maybe rest a few defenders as well Um, because he is going to try and get back to that top spot in the Champions League group stages as well. Um, Next one, we've got Norwich versus Brighton Hove Albion. So, XG United, uh, Brighton Hove Albion. They're doing okay so far this season. I know they lost that recent game as well, but still top six, up seven at the moment. So, they're doing okay. I'm quite comfortable with going for a Brighton Hove Albion win. 2-1, 2-0 maybe against this Norwich side. And just like we discussed last time, Salim, with this Norwich side, I'm not feeling confident in them changing their ways anytime soon. But how do you see this game going for um, Norwich, especially?
1: To be honest, I've said that Brighton on a few occasions uh, do play good football. And, you know, the XG from last year sort of proved that they were just so sort of unlucky in terms of finishing. But this year, they've, you know, they've kicked on, the finishing's improved and they are doing quite well. In terms of Norwich, I just don't know why, but they're just always favourites to go down. Maybe they just don't invest in the team properly or to just feel like it's, if there was a team that you want to play in the Premier League I know every every three points is hard there's no denial in that but if there was a team that you wanted to play against it'd be Norwich so yeah for me I don't know I think I think it'd be an interesting game I think it could be a 2-2. That'd
0: be a good shot seeing Norwich get a point on the board but yeah, um, before we go on to Newcastle as well Graham Potter has been linked with the job at Newcastle under this whole takeover thing. If you were the new owners of Newcastle United, would you be looking at someone internal from the Premier League to replace Steve Bruce, or would you be looking at like a big foreign manager straight away? Do you think it would be a good
1: thing? I mean, there was that Fonseca was linked, who was linked with the Spurs job, good attacking coach. I think Villa were linked with him before. Yeah. Uh, he'd, he'd be on the list, but it depends what sort of route they want to take. Either they can, I mean, the whole Newcastle thing, if you look at how Man City did it, they didn't sort of just sign. Aguero on day one or Yaya Torre on day one, except for Rabinho being an exception, who obviously thought he'd join United anyway. They sort of <laughs> start off with making, not disrespectfully, but sort of like lower signings first and then building it up. Like a lot of their first signings were quite good signings, like Bellamy and uh, Shay Given and these kind of guys. So in
0: Company, Wright Phillips, they were all in.
1: Yeah, yeah. so they, they were good signings, but they were sort of teams that were in and around them, not teams that were like miles ahead of them. So, I think in terms of getting a manager, it depends what route they go for. They could go and try and get somebody in, like a Graham Potter, or like, you know, maybe Brendan's a bit of a push, or they could just, you know, buy out like Jose Mourinho's contract or something and get him in. So, yeah, I mean, I, I can't even give an opinion. I, I have no idea what, you know, Amanda Stavely and Coe's plan is at all. But it's going to be obviously interesting to see what happens. I don't think Newcastle squad at the moment is good enough to even stay up. I think they are going to be in a relegation battle. Uh, I think Bruce obviously has his style of play and sort of just about keeps teams up. But, you know, the, the future can be bright in a sense, like they get that investment they've lacked. Uh, I mean, they have bought players and spent big money too, Joe Linton, for example, and Almiron. But yeah, I mean, it's going to, it just, just depends what route Newcastle take. I mean, do they go all out and just get the big name in now? Like some people saying Antonio Conte, for example. But,
0: yeah, there's a free agent at the moment, Frank Lampard's a free agent as well. Fonseca, like you just mentioned, the former Roma manager, free agent as well. And then you can just be, go to sign players in January as well. Players that are looking to go out, like Coutinho from Barcelona. Rumors, Yeah, are Martial,
1: I mean, so you, have remember, you have to remember the World Cup is obviously around the corner, so a lot of players are going to be wanting to be, you know, playing football now. That's the other thing that in sort of gets the players' mind.
0: Yeah. It'll be a win-win situation for them, you're right. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I see it as I see it as a big thing, especially just like you said, round the corner. When you think when it clocked in my head just that, it's going to be next year, November, December, when we're in October of 2021 at the moment, which is crazy. Literally a, a year to go until the World Cup, which is actually quite mad. Um, we'll stick to Newcastle for now. Forget about the whole you know row thing. Newcastle versus Tottenham. I think Tottenham will win this game, but Newcastle fans must be buoyed and they must be so happy about this whole. Um, Investment from the Saudi group, the fact that some of these attacking players like uh, Almiron, Joe Linton, um, Willock, St. Maximum, Callum Wilson, they were all spent for big money. They were bought in from from huge payments as well. And they are on huge wages as well at Newcastle United. So they're going to get a better squad and a better team around them as well in the future. But I agree with you. Like you said, I don't think they're going to go all out straight away for Haaland and Mbappe, those type of signings. They'll go for the ones that they can afford. They can help build a team around. Hopefully, the manager that they get in gets someone in, gets the right kind of characters in for them. As a neutral point of view, it's, it's quite fun to see another team going up with the big boys. But when you're kind of looking at it in a financial point of view, it could end up ruining the Premier League. It could end up ruining the way people are signed. The financial fair play may come into play. But realistically speaking, Salam, how do you see this Newcastle team doing for the rest of the season? Well, at least until January, I'd say.
1: I think I think there's going to be an amazing atmosphere at the first home game. Um, in terms of how they'll do for the rest of the season, I mean it just depends on who comes in and in terms of management and sort of football like player players. Sorry, but yeah, I mean if they don't sign anyone, they're probably going to get relegated, or they're going to be in the battle. If they sort bring in some you know quality manager and make three four like big signings, they're gonna sort of hover around that mid-table because the players are going to need to gel Uh, but yeah I think that they need to upgrade their sort of training facility as well which was sort of horrendous and even the ground but yeah let's see what happens you know nobody can even predict what's going to happen at all like you know they could sort of sign some massive you know massive signings and push on and stuff but these things take time if you look at sort of Villa for example when we had the takeover we were you know struggling in the championship kind of thing and you know it's it doesn't happen overnight, but we did it quite quick. We got promoted ahead of schedule one year. We sort of stayed up the first year, which is part of the plan. Second year, we got like a decent mid-table finish, which should have been, you know, potentially Europe or even a top-half top, top half finish, but injuries obviously prevented that. And now this year, if we can hopefully push on. So these, these things are projects, like everyone just thinks, oh, Man City won the title their first season, but it wasn't, you know, Mark Hughes came in and, you know, Mancini came in thereafter. I mean it takes time, these kind of things.
0: Yeah, it'll be a good five, 10 years. to we'll see the real Newcastle United under the Saudi Arabian group as well. Um, but it's going to be, it's literally the fact they didn't go and buy like an Arsenal or a Tottenham or a Man United. They didn't go for one of the so-called big six already. They went for someone uh, with a decent stadium, some of a decent base and somewhere <laughs> where you've got a loyal fan base as well. So it's only going to improve and increase as well um, for Newcastle United. So we'll see how that goes over the next couple of years. Yeah. Um, Southampton versus Leeds Southampton haven't had the best of starts this season Hassan Huttall hasn't really kept to his guns and, well he's got the tactics are the same but the performances aren't the same as last season or the season before as well um, Leeds United they're up and down as they always are realistically speaking Salim I think it's going to be a uh, 1-1 Southampton versus Leeds I don't see it being that great of a game I know Leeds are entertaining sometimes Southampton are but I think it'll be a 1-1 game uh, in this game how do you I see mean- it going
1: I think the problem that Leeds are having is the problem that saw Liverpool had last season in terms of the burnout, which everyone saw was going to come, especially when you play that kind of football. So yeah. I just think that it's the same situation because I saw the Leeds Liverpool game that day. Uh, I haven't seen many Leeds games this season, but I watched Leeds Liverpool and they just looked a shadow of themselves. Like they were so open, you know, they could have they maybe had a shot or something. Even the United, the, when Leeds came to Man United, I watched that game as well they just look awful compared to how they normally are. Like, I know they used to concede goals before, but they used to, like, you know, score goals and press and they were aggressive, but they literally don't show anything like that. And I think that maybe it's a burnout or sort of lack of ideas or, you know, these things happen. It's happening with, like, than too. So I, I don't see Leeds getting top four or top six as people were sort of predicting before. I still think that they're a quality side with a quality manager, but I think it's going to be a draw. Southampton are, you know, they kept Ward-Prowse and they're sort of a stable team. That I don't think they'll go down. I don't think they'll do much top-half-wise either, but they're there and, you know, they should get the draw.
0: Yeah, Southampton will be in no man's land like every season. I don't think they're going mm-hmm. to be... They might hover around relegation until like February, March, and then they'll just get their act together as always and just stay up in the league. But I agree with you again. These United are suffering from second season syndrome of being a promoted side as well haven't used so much energy over the course of last season. Um, I think,
1: I think what is it, four years under Bielsa now or something like that. I think that's it yeah.
0: pretty... is. And then obviously with the whole pandemic thing of not really having a break as well, That some, this summer as well, some of their players were in international duty as well. So they weren't ever used to that. So Calvin Phillips doesn't really look the same as what he has done recently as well. So yeah. it's going to be fun to see how League United kind of do over the Christmas period as well coming up. They're going to be having a lot of games. Uh, we can be and if if Bielsa will stick to his master plan of playing with his high-intensity press and his high-intensity way of playing football. If he doesn't and it gets back to normal, great. Uh, if it doesn't, it could spell bad things for Leeds United over the course of the season, but uh, time will tell how that will go. Brentford, the most excited team in the Premier League at the moment, against Chelsea. Uh, last game on Saturday. Dare I say it? Brentford are going to win? Should I say it? Yeah, let's go for it. Brentford are going to win against Chelsea. Um, I think Ivan Tony and Muembu and Wissa. Wissa's a decent superstar as well. Mbuemo. And Mbuembo. And Mbuembo. That's it. I've got Ivan Tony's been very good at doing the. I've never seen him like this, you know. So as like the the second main man, he's not the man scoring the goals as we all thought he would. Like he did in the championship last season, he's kind of doing the dirty work of taking away defenders to get his teammates free and to score a couple of goals here and there. So. I'm looking forward to this game because it's going to be on TV, uh, Sky Sports 5.30 for us on Saturday. Um, but I'm, I'm throwing it out of there. I think Brentford are going to beat Chelsea this weekend. And I think Chelsea, um, like I still said, uh, league favourites for me. I think they're going to win the league this season and I think they're going to do very well. But I think with this Brentford side, the spirit's just high. The vibes are just high for them. Thomas Frank has been doing amazing for them. And they've already played some big teams and turned up in, in these games as well. They should have won against Liverpool. Um, But it's something that I think they could win against Chelsea. How do you see the game going?
1: I mean, yeah, I've always said Brentford play good football and uh, it's going to be a good sort of, I think it'll be a good tactical West London derby. Both teams uh, have their own styles of play and I think they both probably play sort of three at the back as well. I think it'll be a good, I think it'll be a quite interesting game, actually. I think it'll be probably the game. For me, it's probably the game to look out for this weekend. The one to watch kind of thing. Uh, Ivan Tony again, yeah, he's, he's been unlucky with a few offside goals, but they've looked good. I think I'll go for I think I'll go for a draw, actually.
0: Mm. Yeah, I agree. It could be something where Brentford's for the party and it's, it could be something where the systems that um, Brentford play could actually counter Chelsea's 3 for 3 itself, which would be quite good to see how it goes. Um, well, we've got Everton versus West Ham. Everton have a, have a decent start this season as well, drawing against Man United, that Andros Townsend celebration. Um, again, I feel, I feel like everyone's just going to do that celebration now just to annoy Man United fans. That would be quite funny to see. Not for me, obviously, but it would be quite funny to see every week. Like Vardy scoring against Man United on the weekend, he just go super, it could happen. If anyone's going to do it, it could be Jamie Vardy. But um, this one's a tough one to call because West Ham have had a decent start to the season, but they're also struggling with... Um, second season burnout from what I can see after playing in the Europa League as well. Everton, they're still getting to grips with this Rafa Benitez style of play, but so far so good for them. They're in the top six as well. I think it will be a 3-2 Everton win. I think Everton will have a good game. I think Townsend, Damari Gray, and um, I think, yeah, I think those will have a good game. DeCory's had a good start to the season as well, which would be brilliant to see how he kind of does and if he get, uh, makes his way into a, a bigger team over the season. How do you see West Ham doing in this game, Salim? Sunday, two o'clock against... Uh, I think
1: West Ham has been a bit unlucky this season, like, really, in my opinion. But it'd be a good game, because Everton, you, like you said, started quite well. It's just that, obviously, we we beat them um, when they were sort of quite on form. I think I think this will actually be another, probably the second second game to watch kind of thing, second one to watch, I'd say. Um, yeah, I'd probably go for... i go for a West Ham win, actually.
0: Yeah, I, I, it could be a West Ham win. David Moyes has done so far so good this season as well, and there's been t- talks of a takeover at West Ham as well. Um, so we're going to see how that goes as well. I tried to I actually tried to get this guy out, um, <clears throat> on LinkedIn as well, Sam, for an interview. The he's what where is from? I tried to get him on uh, on an interview because he posted something about West Ham, but he didn't respond. But he saw my message. So I was like, damn it. Come on to the podcast and try and and get a takeover for West Ham done over the podcast. That'd be so funny. Um, But we'll see how that goes. Newcastle and Tottenham, we've kind of discussed it already, but how do you see Tottenham doing against uh, Newcastle uh, on Sunday at 4.30? I don't think it should be a 4.30 game. I know they've had the takeover, but it doesn't seem like a game that everyone over the weekend would be looking forward to. Makes no sense. But how do you see Tottenham going against uh, Newcastle?
1: Hard to get from London to Newcastle and then back down again on a Sunday. Mm-hmm.
0: No,
1: that's all. Uh, yeah,
0: I'd probably just go for a Spurs win. Yeah, Spurs win for me as well. I think. I think we,
1: he Bruce's thousandth game in management, to be fair. But yeah, I'd probably just go for a
0: Spurs win. It could be his thousandth and his last if they end up sacking him. They go to their first game the Saudi owners and like, yeah, you're done out here. Well, have, we'll have Graham, this, this is a Graham Thomas. I think is this is his manager. Um, he could be the one to take over as well. And then finally, uh, Arsenal against Crystal Palace. So, Vieira's going back to... No, he's not really going back to Arsenal, is he? He's going back to a new stadium. He never played at the Emirates. Um, But he's going back to Arsenal in a way, Patrick Vieira, with this Crystal Palace side, where I think Crystal Palace have had their ups and downs. More downs than ups this season, but um, Arsenal should really win this, with some of their new signings kind of settling in really well. Their right-back, Toma Yasu, has done very well so far this season as well. Uh, Smith, Rose, Saka, and Udegaard looks like a really eloquent front three up front. I would say with Aubameyang up front as well. But routine Arsenal win, I think. How do you see this game going, Salem, for Arsenal and Crystal Palace?
1: Yeah, I, I quite like Smith Rowe. I've said that a few times, and it's good that uh, Aubameyang's finally playing up front because when he was playing left wing, he's like covering like as a wing back or something. It makes so, no
0: uh, sense. It makes no. It's like playing like a Ronaldo or like a Lewandowski there.
1: Right. Yeah, because I mean, the only reason they put him on the wing was for the pace and to get Lacazette in the team. But Aubameyang, you know, is an out-and-out striker. Mm. Get you, get you the goals, especially in the box. Uh, Palace, I don't understand Palace. To be honest, they've got some really good players. That I forgot his name was it? Tyrique, um, Tyrique Mitchell in midfield. He's got some good stats.
0: He's playing at centre back now, I think. Centre back and left back. Yeah,
1: uh, and then they've obviously got Otsen in who we were linked with. So it's nice to see him sort of. You know, he hit the ground-running squad, two on his debut against Spurs. But I don't Unless understand. Said, um, got, like,
0: Elise. Elise. Elise, signed so, from Reading. Elise,
1: and... Eze, I think Eze's injured, but they've got Elise who look quite good. And they've got, like, you know, Benteke, Ayew. They've got all these attacking players. But uh, they just don't seem consistent enough for me. I can't see him putting a run together at all. So, I don't know. It'd be an interesting game. I'd probably go for a draw, to be honest.
0: Ooh, that'd be good. It'd be good to see if Crystal Palace get a result at Arsenal as well. Um, Which would be... Quite fun to see, actually, because I mentioned Patrick Vieira last week on on the podcast for our little Black History Month episode, and I might just talk about um, someone from who I thought was a good role model as a black footballer and footballs are, but that was our little preview for the Premier League, and that was our little topic on the Ballon d'Or as well. It's kind of straightforward, I think, this year, and for this weekend as well. But we, when you actually listen back to these, Salim, we actually get a lot of these right. You know that, right? That's actually crazy. Apart from Um, all of those odd draws here and there, but we actually get some of these predictions right. Um, But yeah, my little, just a little outro is basically just about Rio Ferdinand, really, about how when I was growing up, he'd be one of the main uh, footballers in the England team and the Man United team that I supported as well. So realistically speaking, when you're looking at heroes in this Black History Month that we have in the United Kingdom as well, I know around the world they have it in different months over the years, when you're kind of looking at to who you would look up to as, a, as not just a man or a black man or a footballer or anything, uh, just be as a human being. And I thought at the time Rio Ferdinand was a great example because the first summer I saw him, he was playing for England in the 2002 World Cup and he scored against Denmark. And he was our main centre-back with Martin Keogh and also Campbell um, in, in the tournament, which was great. It was great to see how uh, Rio Ferdinand was kind of leading by example, even at that young age as well, um, really just setting the tone and. Again, being a fellow Londoner, I was like, wow, this is quite cool. He's playing football for his countries. Then moved to Manchester United that same summer as well from Leeds United. And he'd already had a big career at Leeds United and West Ham as well. Then he moved to Manchester United and he won countless trophies. And he did so well in that partnership with Nemanja Vidic coming through uh, from 2006 7 onwards as well, which is great. Van der Star coming in as a new number one keeper that we had for another six, seven years we had him for, which is great. Five years, I think, we had in four, which was great. And then just really seeing how we kind of played the game of football as a centre-back, because as we're looking at centre-backs now, son, we're looking at probably a good 25 to 30% of centre-backs kind of play like Rio Ferdinand do, playing out from the back, not really sprinting as much as they need to, more about positioning and having a good eye for the game at the time. And when you're kind of looking at people saying, oh, Van Dijk's much better than Ferdinand, or Ferdinand never did this back in the day, or "Company never did this, and you're kind of looking at these people who, who are watching Rio Ferdinand, did they watch him day in, day out, or week in, week out, like a lot of these Man United fans of like our generation did? I don't think they did. Because realistically speaking, he did most of the things that Van Dyke did, minus one or two goals here and there, on a weekly basis against better attacking players, I would say, as well. He did it against the likes of Henri, the likes of Drogba, the likes of uh, Michael Owen as well. It was crazy to see how uh, he just kind of just made defending an art in a way. What were your kind of thoughts on Rio Fernand? I know he's probably not going to be one of your heroes, but what do you No, no, of...
1: Dan had, for me it was he was world class to be honest. You know, I, I sort of watched him, you know, next to Vidic especially. Hmm. Uh, he was a quality player, you know, could play out from the back and stuff. These kind of he had good recovery pace, but this kind of skills weren't really like looked at before, which would have been appreciated a lot more now. I think when it comes to comparing players, I mentioned it before, the, the biggest problem that you probably get is the recency bias. And that, in the sense of that, because you've seen Van Dyke do it sort of like now, kind of thing, you can't really compare it to how Ferdinand did it before because you're just seeing so much Van Dyke now. And you've not obviously seen Ferdinand play, and you can't appreciate it the same way unless you sort of think about it, you know, properly, kind of thing. So, yeah, for me, the problem when you want to compare players like that is the recency bias that does kick in. But, yeah, for me, you can't really put Van Dijk, you know, up with Ferdinand yet. I mean, he he can reach the levels. I'm not saying that he's not good enough. He's a world-class defender. But, you know, these players did it for a long time, a lot of longevity. And, you know, Van Dijk, he's had a few good seasons. You can't take that away from him. And he's come back quite strong from his injury, too, which is interesting to see. But you just need to, you know, it just depends on the, on the sort of legacy he leaves behind at Liverpool now.
0: Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And it's something that um, even you would kind of think and you kind of look back on it and thinking um, with these companies, with these Van Dykes, with these Ferdinands, with these type of players that you have, again, it goes back to the whole Ballon d'Or conversation we had once upon a time earlier in this podcast as well. A lot of these people will be forgotten about unless like you're a big fan of them or you're a fan of the football team or the country as well. Because when you're looking back in history, you're looking at all of these great centre-backs or defenders, but there was no real recognition or individual recognition for them, which wasn't as good. And for me, kind of thinking about how um, like one of the games I went to was Sir Alex Ferguson's last ever home game. It was, it was against Swansea. So we were, it was at 1-1 and Rio Ferdinand scored the winning goal in that Fergie time, the 90th minute, which was amazing. And the, the stadium erupted, which was great. That wasn't one of those reasons why I love that game and why I love uh, Rio Fernand. One of the reasons why I loved it was because of the fact that he did it until he was like 34, 35 years old. And he did it from the age of like 19, 20. So again, when you're looking over the 11, 12 years, he did it at the top level for England, for Manchester United as well. That's how I kind of see it with the longevity of, how great these kind of players were at the time and they played week in week out he had his injuries he had that drugs ban in 2004 but the fact that a lot of these players nowadays um if they if they ever hit the heights of 34 45 years old like ronaldo like messi like zlatan like lewandowski it'd be great to see if they can carry on with that but yeah uh, rio fernando is one of my heroes for black history month that i wanted to talk about and probably one of my favorites as well i would say someone who even now as a pundit I'm not his biggest fan but i still like him i still like to listen to him to what he says about um certain plays and you can still tell he's, he's such a fan of the game as well so he, he loves learning about it which is great but um that's kind of how i see it with my little black history month uh segment there Ferdinand, if you ever watch this join the podcast for an episode please um
1: but yeah uh, i'll just give a quick shout out to marcus rashford uh so my mention i mean you could go on talking about him for for ages with all the good work that he's done recently and Definitely. you know for a while and you know he's he's been getting i think a doctorate was it yes uh, which is you know well deserved i think he's sort of knighted as well as a sir um, so yeah he's he's fully fully deserved it and he's done so much for you know the community and you know the the one that hit me was the f- sort of free school dinners uh cuz i i was i was also like recipient of free school meals back when I was in school as well so wow. that yeah yeah you know it's, it's that one really did sort of um, relate to me quite a lot more than uh, you know he's done quite a lot Every, everything he's done you know has been positive and good and I think it, he deserves even more media coverage but for me that it was the free school dinners that really stood out to me the free school meals because uh, I would have been obviously in that boat where I needed you know the free school meal kind of thing well you know sort of I was in that sort of boat and you know we need somebody like that to step up and he was there so if you know I was younger then I would have you know been you know thanking him even more now so yeah I mean it just shows how much how powerful this tool social media is as well uh when used positively I think you know, it's always, we're always hearing stuff about the racial abuse, which is, you know, disgraceful and it's still a big problem that we've got, but it just shows how how Rashford has used social media in such a positive way and has, you know, brought communities together, especially, you know, during the pandemic.
0: Yeah, I agree 100%. For Marcus well, Rashford to be the second most used athlete in the world after everything is done still mind-boggling to me and it's crazy how, we've gone through this previously as well about how there were some people who were again beneficiaries of this uh, school dinners um, situation over the pandemic and they were still abusing Marcus Rashford for it, missing the penalty against Italy and still racially abusing him and the fact that these people um, they, they see their priorities in a different way and it was crazy to see how they did but leaving on a positive note with Marcus Rashford is still got so much more to do and the fact that when you, when you kind of open up to me as well about it, it's kind of when you're looking at the whole universal credit thing as well. It seems like such a small thing to the government to get rid of 20 pounds a week, but it's such a big thing for so many people around. And it's the same thing with the school dinners as well. So the fact that it was such a small thing for the government to save some money there, but they were like, it's such a big thing for so many people, so many parents, for so many kids, teachers. And the fact that people have now got these school dinners on a regular basis, it's amazing and it's because of a footballer from uh, Man United, from Withenshaw for someone that who's using his power, like you said, his social media presence and his power for the best things possible and for, for feeding children like the way that he's, he has done, for opening a warehouse centre with his mum's name on as well, it's incredible and it's, it's the fact that there's so much more that footballers can do and there's so much more you can learn from him and so much more that he can inspire you to be as well. And, i'm just I'm just proud to kind of be in the same kind of era as Marcus Rashford because his name will go around football for ages. It may die down after a while, but people will remember what he's done on and off the pitch more than most of most of the world class footballers that we can kind of think of as well. Um, that's just the way I see it but yeah, I think we'll end the podcast that Alan. It's good to see you again. It's good to be back Thank and. You'll hear some mutes if you were listening to this. I'll have to edit out of me coughing. So I do apologise, listeners, but um, hopefully I'll be back fit and back to normal for next week as well. I'm off to yeah. the Man United versus Atalanta game, so I'd better be ready and fit for that as well. Yeah. Sorry, you were saying?
1: No, I was saying, yeah, hopefully, definitely get better and, you know, back to normal again.
0: Oh, my days, you must have been looking at me coughing. I'm just there like, oh coughing
1: nah, don't worry
0: about it. It, it it is what it is but yeah I've, I've recovered well i've just felt so bad over the last few days but that's kind of what it is if you're feeling ill and you've got a cough just stay inside recover properly and it should be right as rain it should be good but sam thanks for joining the podcast everyone thanks for listening again um there may be news of a potential sponsor coming soon so it could be quite fun in the future but thanks everyone for listening take care and goodbye